Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Uh, so happy to be with you today, and I'm excited to jump into this message today. Uh, we're talking about, the theme is Kingmaker, and today we're going to be talking about anointing. I want to do something real quick, though, uh, because this is a voting week for those of us that live in Texas. November 2nd is our voting day, and I want to make sure that you understand there are eight uh, amendments to our Texas Constitution that are on the ballot. They're all very important in some way, shape, or form. I'm not going to go through all of them right here, and my job is never to tell you what to vote. My job is to tell you to vote, okay? You're a Christian. You have a light to shine. Voting is one of the ways that you shine your light. It's one of the ways that you use your voice, okay? There is one of the propositions I will tell you how to vote on, though. It's the third one. It's the one that is about religious liberty and freedom here in Texas. It's the one that protects houses of worship from the government to come in on a federal level or even a state level and tell us what we can or cannot do, how many people are allowed to meet, how many people are allowed to be in our buildings, all that sort of thing. And if you want to keep your free opportunity to worship and have liberty to worship, number three is massively important that you vote yes so that you protect your own personal opportunity to worship, okay? Very important. The rest of them, if you want information, I've had a number of people, I've read through all of the propositions probably four or five different times trying to understand when things are written in legal language, it's hard to understand. I did find a really good website that will walk through everything, tell you if the amendment is constitutional, if it's not constitutional, what a vote yes does, what a vote no does. If you want information like that, shoot an email to us, Info, I-N-F-O, at oakschurch.com, and we'll send you that link, or just Google it yourself, okay? But look into it, get informed, uh, and recognize that this is an important thing. A, that you vote, and B, that you make sure that our Christian liberties are protected. Thank God we live in Texas, and that our, cons- our state government is doing things to protect us uh, and to create different things that, that ensure our protection and keep Texas strong. And that's what most of the things are about. So check those out, and that's all I got to say about that. All right? You okay? Good. I would love to tell you that, I don't, that, that, that I'm never going to say something about things that are political, But politics literally means the affairs of the city. And sometimes the church needs to be involved with the affairs of the city. Okay, it's important. It's important, all right? So there's going to be times where I'll make a statement or something like that. Um, I'll never back down from talking about protecting Christian liberties, all right? But between parties and different things like that, look, you guys got to hear the voice of God. You got to pray. And I'm always going to preach the Bible. I'm always going to preach the kingdom. And I hope that we can find places. We live in a world where it's way too, too divided. And the last thing I want to do is create division here at Oaks Church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your word. God, I ask you to release your spirit upon us and give us your strength today. Father, as we dive into this topic of your anointing, God, I ask you that you would give us strength and courage and purpose and the ability to hear and understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, I do want to welcome all of you that are with us online or listening uh, throughout the week. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of Oaks Church. We love you, and we hope that uh, you are going to continue to be with us online. And if you're in person here, come and join us uh, in uh, the house of God. Such an exciting thing. Guys, we're literally just a couple weeks away from owning this building. We're getting so close. There's one, and this is awesome. One thing for you to keep praying for is that the appraisal, that's the last thing we're waiting on, is that the appraisal comes in uh, at the right number, and then we're set to close. Everything else is in place. We just got to go sign the papers and do the dance. That's all we got to do, all right? So uh, anyway, but today as we talk about the anointing, I don't know what that word does inside of you. I don't know what you think about when you think about the word anointing. I don't know if it triggers something from your childhood. I don't know if it uh, is a good memory or a bad memory. I don't know if it makes you feel spooky. Uh, like, I don't know, this is kind of weird. I don't know. I mean, the, the anointing can get into some weird stuff and it can because the anointing is when we begin to dive into and talk about the working of the Holy Spirit in your life and if you read your Bible you'll recognize that when the Holy Spirit is at work sometimes weird stuff happens right when God is at work there are things that happen that are outside of our comfort zone now I grew up in Tulsa Oklahoma Broken Arrow, to be uh, precise. And I grew up, uh, first church I remember going to was, a, was an Assembly of God church, which is part of what you would call the Spirit-filled movement. Uh, and then Charismania broke out in the Tulsa area. Being a, an 80s kid, born in the 70s, growing up in the 80s, I got to experience uh, all of the charismatic expressions that happened across the United States. Tulsa was kind of a hub for that. And so there were lots of things that I witnessed in churches and that I saw and I experienced and I saw things that were incredibly powerful and amazing. I saw things uh, that made me feel awkward or weird. And the, the key and the secret is, is that we always recognize that God is going to do things that are outside of our personal comfort zones. He's going to stretch us. He, he's going to challenge us. Jesus constantly did things that stretched and challenged his disciples and his followers. And so if you're expecting the Holy Spirit to make you feel warm and cozy all the time and never stretch or challenge you, you are in for a disappointment. Because the Holy Spirit is not about just keeping you comfortable. The Holy Spirit is about moving you forward in your life and making you more and more and more like Christ. And if we're becoming more like Christ, we're becoming less like ourselves and more like him. And so we're gonna have to go through change and change is not comfortable. So I don't know how you grew up. You may have grown up without church. You may have grown up in a Catholic church or a Lutheran church. You may have grown up in a black church or a Hispanic church or an Indian church. My goodness, I have been in lots of different churches from lots of different nationalities, and there are some wild worship and expressions that go on in different types of churches. We all have different experiences. But I grew up in a very spirit-filled home uh, that my parents absolutely believed in the power of the anointing. And just so you know, one of the main differences as we get into this is that the, the church at large, if they understand the word anointing, recognizes that it's an important and a powerful thing that believers and Christians have access to. And you will understand it more as we walk through this message and even next week's message. And I wanna prepare you as well. Uh, at the end of this service, we're going to have a segment where we open up the altars and our prayer team comes forward and we're actually going to 
pray and lay hands on anyone that wants to receive uh, an impartation of the Holy Spirit. And according to your own personal journey and your own uh, expectations from God and what you want to walk in. And the altar is going to be open. It's going to be a beautiful moment. We'll do it this week. We'll probably do it again next week because the Lord has expanded this teaching on anointing. And I have a whole nother level of it that I'll go into next week. So I just want to prepare your hearts for that. If you, as you hear this message today, if you get hungry for more of God, and that is my challenge and my hope, that I hope that you do come forward and receive uh, an impartation today at the end of the service as well. I just didn't want to surprise you with that. I thought I'd give you a little heads up and let your hearts begin to stir. But my, um, my parents absolutely believed in it. And, and I, I was, I was, as I grew up, I was accustomed to it. And my parents began to talk to me about what the Holy Spirit's presence in my life would do. And I want to I help you understand that the number one thing is we, that we understand what the word anointed means because that in itself is a word that we may or may not put two and two things together. The word anointed literally means to be smeared with oil. To be smeared with oil. That's what it means. That's the definition, to be smeared with oil. Now, oil in scripture represents the Holy Spirit. So it means to be smeared with the presence of God. It means to be smeared with the Spirit of God. And in the Old Testament, when they would anoint someone, they didn't do it with just like a little bit of oil and a little dot on their head or whatever. In the Old Testament, they had a horn that was full of oil. It would be like an entire jar of oil, and they would pour it on the top of your head, and it would cover everything. It would flow all the way down through your beard if you have a beard. Uh, it would go all the way down onto your garments and it would cover and it would be this, it was an incredible, it was a special recipe of anointing oil that was made, it could only be made in Jerusalem and it could only be used uh, in specific spiritual practices and you could never use it outside according to the law. You couldn't use it in the wrong way. It was a sacred thing. It was used to Make someone holy or set apart. That word holy literally means to be set apart, to be consecrated, to be made special for a use for God. It would also be used on items. They were going to be used inside of worship. They would anoint uh, bowls or candlesticks or the altar or different things of that nature to set it aside and make it recognize that this is a special tool to be used in worship unto God. So that's something for us to recognize. I want to be a special tool that God uses for his glory. So I want to be anointed, right? If you want to be used by God, then you want to be anointed. Now, one of the differences, because as I mentioned earlier, almost every different part of Christianity recognizes that, that there is this thing called anointing. It is a real thing. It is a powerful thing. But one of the differentiators is uh, between a traditional or what would be classified as a spirit-filled or more of a charismatic type church is a belief that you can continue to grow in levels of anointing. It's not just one base anointing that's for everyone and that's all there is and it's all equal. In the charismatic faith, the belief is that you can practice and learn and grow and become better and better and better and better at operating in the presence of God. I don't have a problem with that. In fact, I think that matches up with many of the things that Jesus taught. And I think it matches up with many of the things Jesus uh, classified as how the kingdom works. Jesus talked about how different people are given different gifts and different levels, and one guy gets one, and one guy gets two, another guy gets five, and then they go to work using what they have been given, 
and they grow and develop and multiply and all that type of thing. I want to live my life in a way, and I hope you do too, that we learn how to walk in the things of God at a progressively greater level. I don't ever want to get stagnant. I don't ever want to live my life in a way that I'm just stuck and this is all it is and now I'm just going through the motions. I want to try to live my life in a manner that I'm constantly going, according to scripture, from glory to glory, from level to level, and I'm moving into a different place of my ability to operate in the things of God. Amen? When Jesus taught, Jesus used a natural illustration, and then he said, in the kingdom of heaven is like this. Okay? And in this type of a principle... Maybe he would use something uh, as simple as education. You start out as a preschooler, and then a kindergarten, and then an elementary school, and then a middle schooler, and then a high schooler, and then a college student, and then a doctorate, graduate, graduate, whatever, graduate school student. There are levels of learning, and there are levels of ability, and the kingdom of heaven is very much like that. Amen? Amen. Anointing means to be smeared with oil. The word anoint is the word mashak. It's connected to the word mashiach, which is where we get Messiah. When it speaks of Jesus in scripture, it calls him the anointed one. The anointed one. The verse that our church is founded upon, the passage Isaiah 61, starts with that description of the Messiah as being an anointed one that has been given special powers. When God starts to select and make a king, he always starts with the anointing. God always starts with the anointing. I want to take you to the passage in 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to walk through the life of David as we go through this journey called Kingmaker. And we're going to look at a couple different things. And I want you to see this. 1 Samuel 16 verse 1, God is speaking. Now the Lord says to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Watch this. Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. King-making starts with the anointing. I want to preface this story as I get into the story of David, and I'm going to share with you some details that I found in reading Jewish traditional um, stories and the oral traditions that are inside of the Jewish faith of things that they passed down from generation to generation, literally for centuries and millennia, that aren't found in our Bible. There are traditional stories about Jesse. There are a number of different places where you can study and find Jesse was David's father. Uh, Jesse's wife, her name was Nitzavet. That word or that name is not in the Bible. It's inside of the Jewish stories of how they would pass down from generation to generation. There's a conflict inside of the David story that's going to help you understand and make sense of why David was so rejected by his own family. He was outcast by his own family. The one who we see in scripture being described as ruddy and good looking with beautiful eyes was an outcast in his own family. Why? Well, his father, Jesse, was one of the top four highest-ranking officials inside of the Jewish faith. He was the number four official in the Sanhedrin. He was a big deal. And in his older age, according to the Jewish tradition, 
Jesse began to doubt his own personal lineage because his forefathers were Boaz, who married a Moabite woman named Ruth, who was not Jewish. And so Jesse, according to the Jewish tradition, began to doubt his own lineage, and he concocted a scheme. In fact, he had put his wife away from him. She'd already bore him seven sons, David's older brothers, but she put his wife away from him. And she was kind of an outcast inside of her own home because he was in the middle of his own personal identity crisis. And he concocted a scheme similar to how Abraham uh, used his wife's handmaiden to bear a child, and Jesse, according to the Jewish tradition, decided to take one of Nitzavet's maidservants and make her a wife, and if this maidservant would get pregnant, it would be his proof that God had blessed his lineage and, and that he did have a pure lineage after all. But the maidservant, according to Jewish tradition, was loyal to the wife. Praise God for loyal people who want to protect and keep marriage sacred, right? She was loyal to Nitzavet and told Nitzavet of the scheme and worked out a deal where she would swap places with Nitzavet on the wedding night, very similar to what we saw in the story of uh, Jacob where he got the, the weak-eyed sister. instead of He got Leah, Instead of Rachel, right? He got the, the one with weak eyes instead of the one with the, with, with the curves, right? It's what the scripture says. She had a really nice form. The Bible says she had a, a nice body. It's what it says, okay? Very similar in this Jewish tradition that Nitzavet switched places. Now, I don't know what happens at Jewish weddings, but there is no stinking way. I've, I've been tipsy in my lifetime, Never that tipsy that I'm going to mess up and think I'm with, never mind. Come on, do you understand? This, this is actually in the Bible. Crazy stuff here. So Nitzavet sneaks in and gets pregnant by her husband with David. And then she goes among, about her life and never says a word. Well, three months later, She's pregnant and showing, and Jesse's ticked, and all of her older sons are furious, and they actually, because they're such a religious family, they want to stone their mother. They want to kill their mom because they feel like she was unfaithful, but Jesse had a soft spot for her, and instead of killing her, he just put her away and had her kind of be separate from the family, and he forbid the sons from doing harm to the baby. And what he instead did is he said, this child will be like a slave in our house and have the lowest position and we will let that be the judgment for whatever happened here. And so according to the tradition, David was never allowed to eat at the family table. It's the reason that he was made to be the shepherd boy in a massive prominent family, guys. This is one of the most powerful families in Israel in that day and age. There's no reason for a son of a high-level official to be in the field with the sheep, except they treated him like the lowest level of slave in their own family. In fact, according to the tradition, they made him take the sheep to the most dangerous of areas, hoping that one of the lions or the bears that lived there would kill him and God's uh, will would be justified. 
what David grew up in. You can do research and look for the, the Psalms that David wrote. They were all about his personal agony and his rejection and how overlooked he was and how despised he was in his own household. He, was, he, he grew up in a place of abject rejection and neglect from his actual biological father and all of his big brothers. He had one fan, his mom. And so at the story where we enter, now we'll come into the biblical account where Jesse is showing up at Bethlehem, the house of bread is what that name means. And when Jesse shows up, the townspeople, or pardon me, when Samuel shows up, the prophet, the townspeople are nervous and they ask him, did you come in peace? Because when the prophet shows up, it could be a bad thing. He could be bringing a bad word. He could be bringing a correction that's harsh. He could be bringing a, 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 something from the Lord that he's gonna bring back. I mean, the Jewish people had a lot of experience with God bringing some bad things against them when they were in a time of rebellion. And so they come and say, are you here for a good purpose? Is this good news? And Samuel says, yes, it is. He tells Jesse to gather all of his sons that he's gonna worship the Lord with a sacrifice and to bring all of your sons to him. And God had told him, I'm gonna select a king outside of or from within the family of Jesse. So in 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 7, we come to the place where Samuel has just taken a look at Eliab, who is the oldest son. He's a good-looking dude, tall on the outside. He looks like he's got it all together, and God says, nope, he's not the one. Verse 7 says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Aren't you glad that you have a God that looks at the heart, looks at the inside of you, doesn't just judge you on the outside, actually doesn't even just judge you on your performance. He judges you on your internal commitment to the performance of Jesus Christ. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and that faith is not even your own, but a gift from God so that you can't boast, and you're not saved by your own works, you're saved unto good works that God has put in front of you to do after you've already been accepted and saved. This is the best deal on earth, guys. It's the easiest sales pitch there is. But the Lord looks at his heart. So Jesse called Abinadab, the second one, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Check this out. Every single brother, one after the other, gets rejected by God. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest. In the Jewish translation, it says, there's a small one. His own dad. There's one more, but he's insignificant. He's a bastard. There remains the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. For we will not sit down till he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy 
with bright eyes and good looking. The Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of the brothers. The spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went back to Ramah. Now what's interesting inside of the story that I read from the Jewish tradition was that Nitzavet had taken a vow of silence and had never spoken about what had happened. In fact, she didn't really even speak to her husband, her family. And David was the one that had the most relationship with her. Well, according to the story, when David came back from the field, Nitzavet said, what are you doing here? And, and David said, I've been asked to go to, to meet the prophet, to go to the ceremony. And Nitzavet said, well, you're not going like that. You're getting cleaned up, and she helped him get dressed up and cleaned and the whole whatever, and she said, and I'm going with you. And according to the Jewish tradition, when Samuel poured the oil on David's head, Nitzavet spoke up and said, the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. And then the family said, this was the Lord's doing it's marvelous in our eyes. We couldn't even believe it. This statement from David's life, from his actual childhood, when he was 15, scholars believe, he was 15 years old when he was anointed by God, by God's prophet, to be the next king of Israel. And that statement would make it into one of his psalms, Psalms 118. And it wasn't just, see, this is the beautiful thing of how the Lord works. That statement from his mother's lips became a prophetic declaration to the lineage of David that Jesus Christ, the, the stone that the builders rejected would also become the cornerstone that all of the kingdom of God would be built upon. It was all inside of his lineage the entire time. And this is a beautiful story of God's redemption. You may feel wrongly accused, you may feel wrongly treated, you may feel like an outcast, you may feel rejected or neglected, but can I tell you something? Jesus sees you. He sees you. He sees what's in you. He sees what's in you when no one else can see. I remember being in a time in my life where in my profession I was being overlooked and I was frustrated and I was just hitting the ceiling. I was being overlooked, overlooked, overlooked. And I had a woman in my life, her name was Derizette Banks. She came to me and said, Joel, they can't see you. God put a veil over you. He's hiding you. He's not letting them see you right now because if they could see you, they wouldn't know what to do with you. So he's hiding you and he's gonna unveil you at the proper time. It was a hard thing to hear, but a good thing to hear because it helped me recognize that God sees me even when other people don't. See, this moment changed everything for David. Because of the anointing. Let's look at a couple things that the anointing does. Psalms 105 verse 15 says, according to God, do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophet no harm. What God is saying here is, if I have anointed something, I have an order for supernatural protection on their life. This is a really big deal. You need God's supernatural protection on your life. If you have teenage children driving, you need to anoint them with oil. You need to anoint their vehicle. You need to be declaring the angelic protection over their life in Jesus' name. I've never prayed more until I had a teenager driving. 
Isaiah 10, verse 27, it shall come to pass in that day that the burden will be taken away from your shoulder and the yoke of slavery from your neck and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. The anointing of God breaks the yoke of slavery. It breaks the yoke of sin patterns. It breaks the yoke of the chains of the enemy that he wants to have in and over and upon your life. The anointing breaks the chains and the bondage of slavery in your life. James chapter five, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. The anointing is incredibly powerful for your life. Anointing, watch this, amplifies our abilities and opens opportunities. The anointing amplifies our abilities and opens opportunities. Uh, this, this point is an entry point into what the anointing does. I want to make sure that you do not mistake what I'm about to talk about and think this is all that the anointing does. Next week, I'm going to go into more of what the anointing does, specifically for the purpose of God on your life and also the global purpose of God for the kingdom. So you don't want to miss that. But I do want you to recognize that there is a performance-enhancing opportunity that you have when the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God comes upon your life and you're marked with increasing degrees of the presence of God in your life. It enhances your abilities. It puts God's super onto your natural. It doesn't give you the excuse to be a slacker. It gives you the opportunity to be incredibly excellent and then put God's ability on top of your own personal excellence. God doesn't want to bless your mess. He wants to bless your best. Put that on the internet, that's a good one. <laughs> he wants to bless your best. He wants you to prepare your best for him, and then he puts his super on top of it. He anoints it, and he increases your natural abilities. See, with David, when he was anointing, everything changed, and nothing changed. David left that meeting where he was justified and vindicated in front of his whole family, and they sent him right back out with the sheep. God just said, that's my boy. And his family said, all right. Now go take care of the sheep, David. He was right back out with them. But all of a sudden, there's a different experience that he's having. He's out there worshiping, and he's singing. And all of a sudden, his songs take on a whole new level of power and authority. He's writing these psalms now, and he's cataloging this worship experience, and it opens a door of opportunity. Because his ability is being enhanced by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he now has an opportunity open before him in 1 Samuel 16, Verse 18, one of the servants said to King Saul, hey, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. David's like 15, 16 at this point. He's a kid. But, but the anointing on his life illuminated him in the eyes of other people. It elevated him in the eyes of other people that he's got a servant inside of Saul's household saying, hey, I've seen a kid. 
He's incredibly anointed when he plays the harp. He's also a brave warrior, a man of war, and a good judgment. He's also a fine-looking young man, and God is with him. So David went to Saul and began serving him. And Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. This is the moment where David begins to be trained for war. He had a natural ability We'll learn about that throughout this message in the next week. For warfare, he had a natural anointing, a gifting for warfare. But this is the moment where he began to get actual strategic training inside of the house of the king because you could not be an armor bearer for the king and not know how to fight, not know how to do war. You had to be able to wield the weapons that the king had, be able to help the king with those weapons and also use them to protect the king. If you remember when Day, or when Saul's son, Jonathan, was going up, uh, going uphill fighting and killing, he struck the Philistines down and his armor bearer came behind them, killing them. The armor bearer had to be a ferocious warrior, someone that would have the king's back and knew how to wield the weapons. Then Saul sent word to Jesse asking, please let David remain in my service for I am very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp and Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. This is an incredible story of the power of worship, the power of presence, uh, uh, the presence of God in your life, the power of you creating an atmosphere of anointed worship in your life, in your bedroom, in your car, in your house, that you can create atmospheres where the tormenting spirits of the enemy that want to come in and plague you with confusion, plague you with anxiety, depression, all of these different emotions, you can create an atmosphere where the presence of the Lord is manifest and the tormenting spirits have to leave. In fact, why would you ever stop that atmosphere? Why wouldn't you just keep that atmosphere going all the time and live in an atmosphere like that. But there's just so many shows to watch. So we don't. See, this is when David had this incredible shift in his life. He was still going back and forth to the sheep. In his own household, he's still not treated well. He's still despised, even though God has vindicated him. But now he has a new open door inside of the palace not just anywhere. He's not in the kitchen. He, he's in the throne room. He, he's in the king's chambers. He's in the innermost place. And it says that Saul loved him. But what's wild, we'll see this next week, is that Saul still didn't really know who he was. He loved him. He loved what he did. But Saul was so wrapped up in himself that he didn't even really know who was with him. But David, the anointing, as he was learning to war, as he was learning warfare, all of a sudden he's out with the sheep and these lions and bears that were out there, that a 15-year-old boy, a 16-year-old boy, I had a skunk on my porch a couple nights ago. I screamed and went inside. <laughs> because I knew if I got sprayed by, my, by that skunk... My wife would just throw gas on me and just light me on fire and start over. She's not dealing with that. Just give me a new husband. I can't deal with skunk. I didn't know. I walked out. He literally, he was from here to Brandon. I'm like, huh? And I jumped back inside. And then I leaned my head out the door. I'm like, go away. You go away right now. And he went away. Because I have authority over beasts of the field. I could shoot him, but he's too close to the house. What if he sprays the house? It's terrible. It's a bad decision. They're so cute, too, if you haven't seen them up close. Anyway, 
Come on, you're talking about a 15-year-old chasing down a bear, grabbing it by the jaw, and clubbing it to death. That's not natural. You can have a sheep, Mr. Bear. I'm not going to deal with this. They don't pay me enough. But the anointing on David's life gave him unnatural courage because God was in the process of making a king. And kings have to know how to go to war. Got to know how to go to war. Everything changed. And nothing changed. Just because the anointing of God comes on your life doesn't mean you go into easy street. Doesn't mean you get an easy button. Doesn't mean you just get to ice skate through everything. You still have to walk through every single part of the ups and downs and ins and outs and trials and tribulations of the journey of your life that is the recipe of making the king that God wants to make because kings can't be sissies. They gotta be tough. They gotta be tried by fire. They gotta go through some things. They've gotta be resilient. And so David, everything changed on the inside. Initially, nothing changed on the outside, but now he's got a divine advantage to go through life. See, when Jesus was anointed, when he was baptized with water and he came out and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove and remained on him, it was only then that the power of the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus' life. The very first thing Jesus did, the power of the Holy Spirit comes on your life you would think that the opportunity might be a little different than Jesus' first opportunity. But Jesus' first opportunity was to go into the wilderness for 40 days with no food and be tormented and trash-talked by the devil himself. It's his first assignment with the anointing. So as we pray for you today, prepare yourself because the enemy won't be happy about you stepping into a new season of authority with the presence of God in your life. You gotta be willing to fight. You gotta recognize it and go, okay, here we go. This is what Pastor Joe said. I'm ready to fight. I'm gonna war through this thing. I'm gonna pray through this thing. I'm not gonna let the enemy win in my life. I'm gonna build some tenacity. I'm gonna get tenacious. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sink my teeth into this thing. I'm not gonna back down. What Jesus did after 40 days is he defeated, this is so big, he defeated temptation. He didn't just defeat it for him. He defeated it for you. He defeated temptation for you so that you could rise above temptation, so that you could look the devil right in the eye and say, nope, I'm not doing that. That may be who I was. That's not who I am any longer. I'm not going down this road. I'm not staying in this cycle. Jesus began to walk in incredible demonstrations of power that were both practical and supernatural. Jesus had a supernatural answer for meals that needed to be prepared. He had a supernatural answer for taxes that needed to be paid. He had a supernatural answer for transportation that needed to happen. And he healed the blind and raised the dead and cast out demons and all the different things. He did it all. It's practical and it's spiritual. I wanna encourage you, this first phase, this first level, of walking in God's anointing. I want you to put it to work in your practical life. See, what I've realized is the, the anointing works for everything. It works for everything. It works for parenting, praise God. It works for geometry, all of you high school students in calculus, it works. 
God's anointing will help you in anything you need help doing because his ability will rest upon your life. It doesn't mean you get to not study. It means that when you study, he'll add his extra to it. It will work in your business. In my coaching business, I routinely walk into situations where I'm face-to-face with something going on inside of a business that I have no clue what to do, but I have an anointing, and I pray in the Holy Spirit, and I'm telling you, it's the most unbelievable thing. I've gotten to the point where every time I'm doing a business, a dealing, or coaching, or training a team, I'm praying, I'm in my prayer journal, and I'm writing, and I'm saying, Father, give me the strategy, tell me what to do, and the the ideas and the creativity. I I literally, this week, I had an experience where I went to pray, and I, I got my journal, I got my pen, and I went to pray, and before I could even start, the Lord just flooded me with ideas, and I jump up, and I'm on the whiteboard, and I'm creating a whole strategy. It was all the Holy Spirit, and it had nothing to do with church. It had to do with helping a business person accomplish their goals in the business world. Guys, I'm telling you, the anointing will work for anything, but you have to learn how to tap into it. See, I could just as easily say, ooh, I need to come up with a good idea for this coaching session, so let me Google some stuff. I don't want to be someone that regurgitates other people's Ideas and creativity. I want to be someone that hears directly from the voice of God and brings a solution no one's heard before. And you can do that too. It's about intentionality. Supernatural ability to solve problems. Supernatural ability to stay married. To resolve differences between spouses. Come on, you better believe the enemy wants to destroy your family. Because your family reminds him of the family of God. Your family reminds him of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He wants to divide spouses and destroy children. And we need the anointing for our marriage. You have an anointing. 1 John 2 verse 20 literally says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One And all of you know the truth. That word anointing in the Greek, we know in the Hebrew, it's mashak, I mentioned earlier. In the Greek, it's the word charisma. Charisma. It literally means the anointing, to smear with oil. See, charisma or charismatic has gotten a bad rap at certain times because people have acted wild. But charisma, to be charismatic is to act with the anointing of God in your life. It's actually a very good thing. You don't have to be a weirdo to be anointed. You you can actually be very easy to get along with. You can be very easy to, to engage with and still obey the voice of God and walk in the anointing. Watch this. Verse 27, as for you, the anointing, the charisma you receive from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but his anointing teaches you about all things, as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. I wanna encourage you with all of my heart to recognize that there is an anointing from the Holy Spirit available for you, the presence of God smeared upon your life that will teach you things you don't know. You can be taught by God himself. Unbelievable opportunity. Incredible opportunity. That's, that, that's what I do, guys. You can do it too. It's all about creating space 
for the presence of God in your life that you block everything else out and you carve out time with just you and God in his presence having real communion, communicating, talking, asking him questions, writing down what he says, reading his word, asking him to teach you from it, writing down what he says. It's important that you write down what he says because if you'll take care of his word, he'll give you more. If you'll steward his word well, he'll teach you more. We forget all too easy. When we write down, it helps us remember. If you're gonna write anything down, write what God says down. The most important factor in your life. I wanna invite you today to join us in prayer. You don't have to come down front if you don't want to, but if you want to, we actually have oil um, in this little container. We're not gonna pour it all over your head. You're not gonna mess up your hair. Your lunch plans will be fine. But we, we're gonna put it on our hand. We're gonna put it on your head. And we're gonna pray for God to release a supernatural endowment of his presence in your life. That he would anoint you with his power, with his protection, with his performance. His power, his protection, and his performance. That he would heal you, that he would heal your life, that he would initiate his supernatural creativity and his supernatural wisdom in your life, that you would have supernatural knowledge, things you shouldn't know except for the anointing teaches you, as the Bible says. You may have this already, you may walk in this already, and that's totally just fine. But if you want this, I wanna invite you and we're just gonna pray. We're gonna pray for you. The worship band's gonna come back up. They're gonna sing a little bit more, but we're just gonna open up the front. I'm gonna ask our prayer team to go ahead and come. Uh, we've got the oil that we'll pass out for you and we'll just face out front. I'm gonna jump down here as well and the ushers are gonna help us kind of uh, uh, rotate people through or whatever. And we're just gonna create an opportunity for prayer. The Bible is very clear. It talks about the laying on of hands. Paul said to Timothy, said, not to neglect the gift that was given you by the laying on of my hands. There is a transfer that happens inside of the power of prayer and the laying on of hands of elders and leaders in the church. Amen? Amen. So let's do that. Father, in the name of Jesus, uh, right now, God, we ask you that your presence fill this place. We ask you that you come. Uh, you've been here the entire time, but we ask you that your anointing flows right now in the name of Jesus for supernatural protection, supernatural provision, supernatural power, supernatural performance for healing and deliverance and restoration. Father, release your power in Jesus' name. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.